This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 254 with Christine McAllister. Show notes for this episode, including all links mentioned in the episode, as well as any discount codes from our sponsors, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 254. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Quick, super exciting announcement before we get started today. I'm bringing back the Shameless Mom Momentum Mamas. So I've done these groups before for limited time offerings and coming back by popular, popular demand. I am going to be shortly kicking off the Shameless Mom Momentum Mamas as an ongoing program, an ongoing community for our listeners to be in, to receive group coaching, to build momentum in any area of your life. This has been an extremely successful program when I've run it in the past. Women and moms have made life-changing improvements in very short amounts of time, and it's been amazing to watch. So I cannot wait to do it again. So if you are looking to create a stronger sense of self-identity or cultivate confidence and courage in your life, maybe you want to pursue new passions or figure out what the heck you're even passionate about. Maybe you want to implement healthier habits and routines or build better boundaries and relationships. Maybe you want to adopt an abundance mindset to be more in touch with your ability to have abundance around time, money, and energy. Or maybe you just want to make some new shameless mama friends. 
This will be the place for you. In the Shameless Mom Momentum Mastermind, you are going to get weekly group coaching with me. You're going to get cheat sheets, templates, and toolkits that are going to support you every single week in working toward your goals. You're going to get access to a private Facebook group. We will have a monthly book club. I'm so excited about this. We will have a monthly happy hour. Yes, please. And best of all, this is all virtual. We will meet via Zoom video conferencing. So We'll all get to see each other on video and interact and engage and build community and learn from each other, get group coaching, make new friendships. It's going to be amazing. I will also be bringing in some special guest experts just for our Shameless Mom Momentum Mamas. So if you are interested, get on the wait list. You can go to shamelessmom.com forward slash wait list to get on the wait list. And I will have more information coming out in the next week or so so that you can join us and get started in the Shameless Mom Momentum Mamas. Christine McAllister is an entrepreneur, business coach, and the author of The Income Replacement Formula, Seven Simple Steps to Doing What You Love and Making Six Figures from Anywhere. An expert on turning tragedy into triumph, she founded her company, Life with Passion, after the full-term stillbirth of her daughter, Maeve. Christine has been featured in Inc., Business Insider, The Huffington Post, and The Entrepreneurs on Fire podcast. Christine helps high achievers all over the world to quit and stay out of their nine to fives by building businesses out of their passions. Christine and her husband and two-year-old rainbow baby, Fiora, live with their two rescue dogs and near their Arabian horses in Louisville, Kentucky. I wanted to have Christine on the show to talk about her traumatic story of loss and how she found herself a completely new person a few years later. We talk about how motherhood changes us forever, especially in the face of loss and trauma. Christine's passion and energy are infectious, and it is so clear that she has built the life that is best for her passions, and she's obviously very talented when it comes to helping others do the same. So listen in to hear Christine share how she endured the loss of her daughter Maeve and the lessons learned from her trauma, why she left a successful business to build something new, why she believes when the mindset is strong, the strategy is simple how to identify your passions and determine if you should or shouldn't build a business around them and the seven steps of a freedom based lifestyle. I loved this conversation. Christine and I hit it off so quickly and easily. And I hope that we get to have more conversations. She was one of those people that when we got started chatting, I did not want it to end. And I just know that our lives have to connect again in some way because we had such a great conversation. So very excited to share with you, Christine McAllister. Christine McAllister, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited for this conversation and so grateful that you're here to open up and be vulnerable with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I love the show. I'm thrilled to be part of it. This is going to be fun. So we'll share with listeners right now that you were introduced to the show through a friend who is a listener saying, you need to check out this show. So when you came to me, I did not know that, that you would like been listening to the show and been familiar with it. But I read your bio and the reasons you wanted to come on the show. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, yes, yes. Like I have to have her on. So I feel like we have like equal excitement here, like equal fangirling. Yes. I love that. It's perfect. It's perfect. This will create for really good energy the whole hour. (laughs) So tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. So right now I am really excited that I wrote my first book and I'm getting out into the world. And as a result, being able to scale this business that I really, really love and share this work with more people around the world. Personally, I love horses. I just had a riding lesson this morning. 
came back, rushed through the shower because that is the only thing I will get sweaty for and showed up (laughs) wet hair in a bun to record this thing. Thankful that it wasn't video, but that's something that loved horses my whole life and never had them until I was an adult and now um, make regular time for in the limited amount of childcare that I have available. So something I'm super passionate about and it's really a form of like self-care and meditation for me. And then I'm married and I have a little daughter who's almost two years old. She keeps me very busy. And I live in the bluegrass of Kentucky, where it is approximately 5,000 degrees at the time of this recording. <laughs> I have a number of friends in this and colleagues in the South, and I'm watching them on social media right now. And they're like, oh my God, it's so hot. And here in Seattle, so I'm like, oh, it's like 62, kind of overcast. <laughs> Oh my gosh. This is the time of year to be in Seattle, man. (laughs) Totally. Totally. I love that you bring up your horses and what that brings to your life. Like it brings up the conversation around like finding out what you're passionate about and letting that into your life. And it also brings up the conversation around self-care and that's both of those things for you. And I think that's really, really cool. And I think that that's a really great example of something that maybe I think there's passions that we have when we're little that we let go of and we forget about. And I think horses is often one of those things. Like so many little girls were like, I just want a pony or a horse or go to horse camp or whatever. And you have kept that in your adult life as a passion and as self-care, I think is so amazing and so powerful. Thank you. Yeah, I didn't grow up ever regularly riding. Someone asked me the other day, so, you know, did your parents like nurture your horse habit? And no, they didn't, you know. (laughs) They would drive me to lessons when I earned enough money from babysitting or pet sitting or cleaning the house or chores or whatever. I got to do one show as a kid and I wanted that to be my life so badly. And I just heard, you know, horses are king sport. Like that's not for us. That's not our family priorities, you know? And so it didn't happen. Right. I kept finding these little ways. Like I sweated my way through an Orlando summer between high school and college working at a dressage barn. I think the lady thought it was absolutely crazy. I was getting like heat related rashes, you know, cause I'm very pale. Like I do not belong out in the sun. I've yeah. been in like 20 minutes, but that's how strong. And I'm also not outdoorsy unless we're talking about either hiking or horses, like camping, no way. But I sweated my way through that summer to like trade for lessons. So I just kind of like kept, I'd get into it and then I go, Oh, it's not possible. I get into it. Oh, it's not possible. And then the other thing that my parents said is when you're an adult, you can do and have whatever you want, right? Well, when you're an adult, you can have horses, Christine. So it's like, got it. So <laughs> when I became an adult, I found my way back into horses and then now own horses as well. Oh, that's so cool. So cool. So switching gears from horses, although there's probably a lot of connections with like your mothering instinct and the horses because horses mm-hmm. require a lot of care and maintenance similar to a child, but let's switch gears a little bit into your entrance into motherhood. And I know there was a very profound loss that impacted you. And so can you talk us through that, what happened there and the impact that that had on your life? Yes. So I was later to get married and really wrestled with the idea of whether I wanted to be a mom, whether I would be a good mom, how that was going to change my identity and what I wanted it to look like. And to be honest, I couldn't really picture it. So I had a lot of anxiety around becoming a mother. I also had some health issues that gave me pause as to whether or not I could have a baby naturally. And so what actually 
gave me <laughs> the knowledge that I could potentially was that I had three early miscarriages. Oh. And, you know, I kind of didn't know what was going on. I wasn't super connected to it, but I experienced those and I went, oh, I guess I can get pregnant, which is kind of odd, I realized. But that was my sort of entrance into motherhood. And then I had an unplanned but perfect pregnancy. And I was very sick. I became very depressed. I had perinatal depression, which I didn't know was a thing until I couldn't get off the couch. I, of course, I had all day sickness. I had extreme anxiety. And yet the baby was totally healthy. Like I felt like the life was being sucked out of me, (laughs) but the baby was great. And so through this journey, I, you know, I did the best that I could, but continued to be very anxious and sort of very conflicted at our 37 week appointment when everything was done at that point, right? The last thing to do is pack a bag. We'd already put the car seat in the car, came home from a weekend of baby showers where family and friends had driven in everything. We went to our 37 week appointment and the midwife couldn't find the heartbeat. Mm. And that's how we found out after this perfect pregnancy that this baby had passed away. And so, yeah, they sent us directly to the hospital to be, you know, double check everything, whatever, and to be induced. And we were going to be surprised. We found out while we were waiting for me to deliver that it was a little girl and we named her Maeve Evelyn. And she was born about 36 hours maybe after we found out my body was in no way ready. And so there was a lot of inducing that had to be done. And of course, labor was extremely difficult. Yeah. And that was my official entrance into becoming a parent. Oh my gosh. So tell me a little bit about those moments after finding out that this baby was no longer alive and then you had to still go through labor and delivery. Do you remember what that was like? Were you connected to that experience? Were you so traumatized that you weren't connected? Yeah, it's a great question because I think it could have gone either way. And we were preparing for a natural childbirth. We'd done all these like intense classes about hypnosis and I had a doula, you know, or like all rabid first time parents with the birth plan and this whole thing, you know. And so I asked my doula, how in the world am I going to deliver this baby that I already know is gone. Mm -hmm. Even I cannot comprehend going through labor and not having a prize at the end. Right. Right. And can you just not tell them to knock me out and wake me up when it's over? Yeah. And what the midwife said was, look, we can do that, of course. But what we know now, because that's actually what used to happen. And I have a friend whose mom went through that experience 50 plus years ago. Wow. Where she was sedated until after her daughter's funeral. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cause they thought that's what was best at that time. So you like so don't get to what, process it physically or emotionally. Exactly. Exactly. And I've been, you know, privy to how my friend's mom has processed that over the last, you know, five decades and what yeah. that's done to her. And so what my midwife said was we can do that, but we know that you need to experience this in order for you to grieve. Right. 
And I went, well, okay. Like at that point, you're just kind of taking what everyone says as crazy as it sounds. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're totally shell shocked. So, right. I have no frame of reference for this. People are like handing me brochures, telling me I need to plan some kind of service, and I'm still nine months pregnant. Right. We had good friends who had stillborn twins, and when they found out that the boys were no longer alive, I remember my husband getting a message. It was one of my husband's best friends, so he got the first message, and I remember saying, so when are they going to do the C-section? Like assuming that like, it did not even occur to me that you would still go through labor and delivery. And so mm. I remember my, and of course it's like two guys talking. So my husband's like, well, I don't know. Like, I'm not going to ask, <laughs> right. but I later learned. And then we, since, you know, at the time my husband was one of my husband's best friends. I wasn't super close to the family at the time. Like they were good friends, but not super close. Well, now I'm very close with their family. Actually, the woman, Angela, was on my podcast and I did an interview with her and we now have sons who are born in the same week and we're great friends. So I've gotten to hear so much about their experience, but I remember like learning that they were going to very similarly, like they're not going to do a C-section. They're not going to knock you out and do a C-section. Like they're going to induce and you're going to still go through labor and delivery. And then you have time to hold the, she had time to hold the babies and take pictures and like all these things. And I remember at the time just thinking, oh my God, you're just making it so much worse because you're like drawing this attention to it. But Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Like you said, like that ability to process. And she said, you know, I remember her talking about how offended she was that the hospital staff was pushing them to get pictures taken. Uh But after the fact that that was like the biggest gift of the whole thing, that they actually have pictures now. So yep, because that's, that's all you have, right? Right, right. right. Couple sonogram pictures, and like this is the proof, right, <laughs> that you had these babies or this baby. And I felt the same. I was like, that sounds like the craziest 
thing ever. Why would I want pictures to remember this horrible moment? You know, the worst day of my life. Right. But now, I mean, we have backup upon backup upon backup of those pictures because (laughs) they're some of our most precious possessions. Yes. You know, I would say like it's such a traumatic thing, obviously, but it's not unlike anyone else giving birth to a baby that like you would want to have documentation of that. And like you said, when that's the only thing you have, it probably is more meaningful and impactful, but you know, like no matter what you want this, it's such a significant life experience that you would want, it makes sense that you would want to have something that you can't treasure in the moment, maybe so much, but obviously you're going to treasure as a life experience, you know, later on and for the rest of your life. So can you tell us about going from there to now having a two-year-old rainbow baby? Yeah. So to be honest, all I wanted and my husband too was another baby after Mae was Mm. born, right? Like when they put her in my arms, I had this moment that like I never expected to have of, oh yeah, I do want this. Yeah. As conflicted as I had been and really, really because I was scared. Yeah. I was scared of what it was going to do to me. I was scared that I would lose my identity. I was scared that I could no longer live life on my own terms and that I would be a bad mom, mm-hmm. you know? And everyone around me was like, you got this, Christine. Yeah, anything you put your hand to, like, you're good at it. It's fine. And I was like, yeah, well, you're not in my head. You don't know how crazy <laughs> right. my head sounds right now, right? right. So, totally. But when they put her in my arms, I was like, oh, yeah, I could totally do this if I was given the chance. And so after I was medically cleared, which felt like forever, even though it was only three months, come on, really? Like, I cannot even imagine getting pregnant after three months postpartum. I know that people do. Right, right. But, you know, looking back on that time. And so I went through some fertility treatments that was having infertility. And not surprisingly, because my body was probably going, what are you, what? We've just been through such a trauma. (laughs) Take a minute, you know. The fertility treatments made me crazy. So I took a break from them. And then I tried something different after several months. And so about nine months, almost 10 months after Mae was born, I got pregnant successfully again. And obviously I was high risk and had to do insane amounts of appointments and monitoring. And some of it I brought on myself because they told me I could go in and check the heartbeat anytime. And I did. Mm. And we, in the meantime, had moved down the road from Lexington, Kentucky to Louisville, Kentucky. So between our house and the doctor uh, practice where we'd been in the hospital was about an hour. And I chose to keep that team because I didn't want anybody else (laughs) except the people who were in that room and knew that story. Yeah had seen, you know, they, they were the ones who knew Maeve, right? There was a time when I was like only willing to talk to those people in the immediacy after her birth. Cause I was like, they're the only ones who get it. Right. Right. So anyway, so we kept them. So it was like having a part-time job on top of building my business, driving back and forth for all three times a week, you know, for the last trimester, all these extra, Oh my gosh. And of course I was so anxious. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine. So did you go full term or were you induced early? Well, I wanted to control this whole situation. And of course, you know, we got some pushback medically to the point where I was like, I'm going to break my own water. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, 
the people who I know who've gone through stillbirths, I seem to know like an inordinate amount of people who've experienced this and they are like, take this baby as soon as you can, like get it out as soon as it's viable. Like there's just this like protection element that like, we don't need to wait for 40 weeks. (laughs) Like if we know if it's viable, let's go. Yeah. I actually got into a little like fight with a family member who said something to me when I got, I think to 26 weeks or 28 weeks. And I was like, I just want them to go ahead and take the baby, put her in the NICU. And like, that would make me feel better because I don't trust my body, right? you know? And she goes, Oh, you wouldn't want that. And I said, yeah, well, it's better than having a dead baby. Right. Right. And she was so offended that I said that, but I went, you know what? I just can't like, yeah, you get to say that. Like you totally get to say that when you've lived that whole experience. Exactly. So I wanted them to deliver me at 36 weeks, which would have been a couple days earlier than when we know that Maeve passed away, Mm. or our best guess. And they wanted to wait till 37 weeks, because they really couldn't find any medical reason to induce. Yeah. And so I went into the hospital three times for extra monitoring, because I was so freaked out and feeling like she was slowing down. Mm. And on the third time, I guess they saw something on the tape. Uh, monitoring tape that gave them a medical reason to sign off on it. So they came in the next morning and they said, okay, you know, everybody knew the story by that point. I'm best friends with all the nurses. (laughs) I'm served champagne after the baby was born at three o'clock in the morning. We're all sipping on it. So like, it was just this community of people who are rooting for us, you know? And so, yeah, she was born at 37 weeks and she was healthy. Did you have a moment where you were like, I can exhale finally? Or was it conflicting because of the loss that you had experienced? So I was in no way okay until she was here. And then when she was here, she took one breath and stopped breathing. Oh my gosh. And I watched her take a breath and go, <sighs> right. And so they're trying to wrap things up, cut the cord, whatever, take her over to the table, suctioning her, shooting her with epi. Like, and I can't see anything because they're all crowded, right? All mm-hmm. the nurses are crowded. My husband's over there and he can see the whole thing. And I'm like laying there literally paralyzed from the epidural in the bed, right? So I think that when they finally brought her over to me and, you know, put her on my chest and I'm kind of high from the drugs because I use the extra pain pump button like it was my security blanket. (laughs) So uh, because labor was like my epidural was wearing off. So I Mm. felt a lot of it. And I was became very physically exhausted. They put her on me and, you know, let her try to nurse see if she would. And she literally like opened her mouth and went, like just grabbed on. Oh, my gosh. Started nursing right away. And the, the nurse our lead nurse who has been doing this her entire career, she's retiring like this month in a few weeks at the time of this recording. She looked at her and she goes, well, that's aggressive. <laughs> like, yes, we have an eater. Everything will be fine. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. So from there, did you feel like, okay, like everything's okay now? Were you still like how focused were you, were you able to completely move on from the loss or how much did that stick with you as you started? I had a massive amount of anxiety about okay. her stopping breathing okay. about, and she got a little bit older about her falling down the stairs. Okay. So it didn't uh, go away. <laughs> the trauma no, did not go away. No, trouble sleeping. Yeah. I think there was a way in which, you know, my body remembers the trauma. Mm. 
of course, we had her in the same hospital where we'd had Maeve uh, with a lot of the same people, but then that brings about some PTSD-like symptoms as well. Yeah. And what I eventually found in working with a friend of mine who is an amazing like women's health healer, we ran like hormone panels and thyroid panels and all of that. And I have extremely high amounts of all my hormones and like zero cortisol or adrenal function. So total adrenal fatigue, which would explain why I wasn't sleeping very well Mm -hmm. or much, but like she just took the results and she showed them to me. She goes, this is the picture of anxiety. Wow. (laughs) And I went, okay, I'm not crazy. Right. 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 Obviously you don't know what causes what. Right. But in a way I was so relieved. Right. It kind of felt like falling in love. Like I had all this energy to not be pregnant anymore and to have this living baby. And it was like adrenaline as opposed to postpartum, which I had pretty much experienced during the pregnancy, postpartum depression. Yeah. But there was this other way in which, you know, my mind was constantly racing with the things that could happen to her. Because unfortunately, when you're in this space, I mean, I have a bunch, I have so many numbers in my phone right now of people who've gone through this Mm -hmm. or some other kind of child loss. And this isn't that uncommon, one in 160, which is crazy. But that is a crazy number. But like I said, I feel like I know so many women who have been touched by stillbirth experiences and it's shocking to me because it's something like yeah. growing up I had no knowledge of. Like it was literally never on my radar and until I was like mid thirties. And now I feel like I know many people who have experienced it. Yep. Yep. And I think like, I mean, same for us. I'm, we're sitting in the hospital room and I was like, this doesn't happen right. to, you know, healthy right. people in a perfect pregnancy and the whole thing. And we didn't know anybody else that, or so we thought. Right. But I think it's also becoming thankfully more normalized to yeah. talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So that people can honor their babies and this experience that they've had. Right. Right. So what are the biggest lessons you learned from the whole experience you went through and through losing Maeve? The biggest lesson that I learned is that I have a choice. I think Tell me more about that. Well, I think that up to that point I felt a lot more pressure. I was a high achieving people pleaser, oldest child, type A perfectionist. So I think I was managing a lot of people's expectations for me. Mm. And I know that this is something that you talk about a lot, which I love this whole idea of like, what do we even want? What are our own preferences? Yes. You know, and certainly I saw that in my major relationships. And so when I literally like could not do for anyone else the way I had Mm -hmm. all of those relationships changed all of them like I lost some of them and the ones that stuck around had to be renegotiated can you talk a little bit about renegotiating them I think that could be really powerful for our listeners because I think a lot of us don't know what that means and I think that we could all do a little more of that in terms of protecting ourselves Yeah. So I had a family member who became pregnant shortly after Maeve died and really wanted me to support her through it. And I couldn't. And it was devastating for both of us. Mm -hmm. And I think that I realized that the relationship had been more leaning toward supporting her Mm -hmm. than it had been supporting me. And so 
when she felt she needed me and I wasn't able to do that, like that wasn't okay. And so what I had to do was get really okay with the anger and the sadness and the grief that that caused for both of us, because I knew I was not available in that situation. I knew it. You know, I just wasn't, I wasn't pregnant. (laughs) Right. I couldn't deal, you know, and that caused a ton, I caused a major rift and things are very, very different now. We have a much more casual relationship, but also a much more, I think, realistic relationship, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's more balanced. Right. And pretty sure my husband won't listen to this interview. (laughs) (laughs) And even if he did, it's fine. It's something we continue to talk about. But there came a point when I told him, look, I cannot be your only source of support in this situation. Mm. Of course, we are going to be each other's biggest supports. Like we are the only people who lost Maeve, you know, as parents, but I can't be your support, your sole support, because I am barely holding it together with all the people I'm leaning on me for support, you know, or leaning on. Right. Right. And I think I had similar conversations with some of my extended family members because Jen Hatmaker has this great idea of like concentric circles of grief, Mm -hmm. the people in the middle. I don't know if that's the right term for it. So I'm sorry, Jen. (laughs) <laughs> but the people in the middle uh, cannot be supportive of the people further out. It has to go inward. Mm. And that just made so much sense to me as to why I was having a struggle with all of these relationships. And so what it looked like was, look, I'm becoming a different person. And so the way that I'm going to interact with you is going to become different as well. It has to. And you have to decide if you're available for that, if you're available for a new relationship with the new me, yeah. or as some people said to me, I just want the old Christine back. Right. Right. And I was like, hey, yeah, she's gone. Right. Like right. That right. Demolished into this heap of ashes. Right. Yeah. And now what I'm rebuilding is something closer to who I was as a kid before I let expectations, you know, societal norms, whatever people pleasing, etc., get in the way. And hide out who I really was. I love that. You know, I think motherhood changes us all on a really profound level, but I think that like your specific experience into your launch into motherhood, it being as traumatic as it was and unique compared to many other mothers entrance into motherhood. I think that it would change you, you know, obviously in a maybe more profound or more dynamic way that like there is no turning back. And I talk a lot about how in my first year of motherhood, I grieved my past life and kept thinking like, when are we going back? When are we going back? Like maybe next month we'll get there. Like, but someday it'll go back to normal. Right. And then after like a year, year and a half, I was like, Oh wait, like it's not going back. And I started to become okay with that. And I think that recognizing that you're not going to be the same is really, really important. And if someone would, could have warned me about that, that would have been really awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> I really if I could have that. gotten a memo, that would have been really nice for someone who likes to control things. I would have really appreciated a memo about like, everything's going to be totally different, but also it's going to be okay. Yeah. Because for me for a long time, I was like, okay, so it's going to be totally different. And like, what does that mean? And what will it look like? And how can I make it something that I like? And what if I yes. don't, what if I can't, <laughs> what if I don't like it? And that was really hard for me. And also it had taken us multiple years to get pregnant. We went through a lot mm. of infertility stuff. And so there was a lot of fear around like, wow, I worked really hard for this. And what if I don't really like it at the end? Oh yeah. And for you, like you said, you know, 
like you never knew for sure that like, oh my gosh, all I want is to be a mom. And I, so many things that you said at the very beginning, I really connected with. And so then to figure out like, okay, now we're here and how do I like make this all okay? And how do I keep myself in this and find myself in this? And when you add trauma to that, it's such a bigger thing. And I would imagine the work that needs to be done is it's a lot more. I mean, it's just, it's pervasive to every element of your being, I would think. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that makes a lot of sense that you would say that everything about you has changed and like there is no going back. (laughs) But, you know, for better, for worse, like I think that we, at some point it becomes for better. Like I'm better now because I didn't go back to what I was before. And so let's shift a little bit into that. Like as a result of everything that you went through, how did your professional life shift and what does that looked like for you? Yeah. So, and I know you'll relate to this because we were talking about this before we hit record, but I was running a successful digital marketing agency that I had built on the side of my nine to five and that I'd been running for five years full time mm. when Maeve died. And I knew that there was another level for me. I knew that I had these big goals and these big dreams, but they didn't feel tangible And this was comfortable, right? I was good at it. I had clients I really enjoyed working with. I was, you know, successful. I built it based entirely on referrals. And then when Maeve died, I went, I got to do something to honor her legacy, you know, make her proud. And also that I'm really proud of a legacy that I'm proud to have. And so that led to me hiring my first mentor to help me figure out what the heck that was, you know, because I knew that I was capable of having a massive impact. I knew that I wanted to speak on the stage. I knew that I wanted to be really visible. I always wanted to be famous when I was growing up. (laughs) And so to me, like the ways to do that when I was growing up were like, you know, a musician like Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake or my contemporaries or as an actor, And I didn't have what you need for either of those things. Mm -hmm. So I went, I don't know how to be famous, right? (laughs) So I love that that's the life goal. Not like, not, I want to be a lawyer, be a doctor, (laughs) be a CEO. I just want to be famous. Like whatever that means, however we can get there, that would be good. That looked like so much fun to me, right? To like perform and, you know, and do all of that. Well, when I was five, it was either to be an astronaut or work at McDonald's because I really was fascinated by how the the buttons, the ordering buttons worked. And I thought that like the microphone at Wendy's was super cool. Could there be like more polarized dreams? (laughs) McDonald's or astronaut? Either or. (laughs) Yeah, either. I'm sure my parents were so excited to hear me (laughs) tell people that. But yeah, so there was this desire to be really visible, right? And to lead and to have this presence. And so what I realized is that the thing that I was always trying to do was help other people be entrepreneurs, Mm. especially women. Because when I went full-time, I was surrounded. I was in my 20s. When I became a full-time entrepreneur, I was surrounded by awesome people who were all men. Like all of my contemporaries doing this entrepreneurial thing in the space where I was and who I knew were all men. And I was like, I mean, I'm comfortable with dudes. A lot of my clients are men, whatever. Like I work really well with guys. I was like, where are all the other (laughs) men doing this thing? You know, where are my peeps? Yeah. And so I had struggled for five years building a side hustle 
and just wanting a clear plan and being so terrified and so full of self-doubt about quitting my job. When I finally quit my job, I replaced my income in the first month. And of course, I was like, why didn't I do this years ago? That's amazing. But I know that I'm not alone, right? Because I think that we're really trained to be good employees and to please and to achieve in kind of the box that we have. But I know there's so many women who dream of like time freedom, income freedom, you know, travel freedom, whatever, not punching someone else's clock. And I was like, that's who I take a stand for. You know, that's what I realized out of this work. And so I was like, well, I've started three businesses. I can help people figure out how to do that for themselves, right? Or I can help them take a business that isn't working and they're afraid they're going to just have to go back and get a job and help them stay out. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I've been doing for the last three plus years. Nice. That's so fun. So tell us how you encourage moms to start building businesses when they still have quote unquote regular jobs. Like that's a daunting task. Actually, let's pack up even before that. How do moms figure out what they're passionate about so that they can then have the desire to build something? So I think that I hear a lot of moms saying, and actually like emails that I get regularly where their moms are like, I mean, my job is okay, but like, I don't even know what I'm passionate about. And if I were to build something on my own, I don't even know what it would be. And like, that's just a daunting place. And also there's nothing wrong. And there's plenty of moms who are like, I just want to work my nine to five. And that's totally cool. And that's great if that's the place that you're in. But I also think that I think it's important whether or not you want to go build a side hustle, start your own business, whatever. I think it's important to be able to identify what you're passionate about. And so, I mean, that's kind of goes back to what we talked about at the beginning with you and your love of horses and being able to identify that and incorporate it into your life as a passion, as a hobby, as self-care. No matter what you do with this information, you need to know what you're passionate about. (laughs) So yeah, so go ahead and start with that. How do we figure out what we're passionate about? And then from there, how can we turn that into a little bit of a side gig should we choose to? You know, what I find is that honestly, when I'm talking to someone and basically giving them permission to talk about what they love, it comes pretty naturally. Like, I think a lot of times we just tell ourselves, oh, I could never build a business around that. That's not practical. Right. Right. Or I don't have any idea how I would replace a good income with this. And so Maybe we're so focused on our kids that we've forgotten what we're passionate about, but, or, you know, obviously working a nine to five, raising kids, like managing a household, all of those things, right? We have 10 full-time jobs and we all know that, but I think it's even just paying attention to the things you get or got excited about if like nothing excites you now, you know? And I think having a conversation about with the people who knew you when you were young is really, really impactful and revealing and can be a little emotional. But parents, if they're, you know, safe people to ask or relatives or people who just knew you growing up and can point out to you what was unique about you when you were young, right? Like my kid's going through this phase right now where in the tiniest speck of anything on her hand or anything on the floor, it's, <laughs> uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I wonder if she's going to be super detail-oriented or if this is a phase. Yeah. Because kids are just like throwing crap everywhere and making a mess and loving it, right? Mm-hmm. And she's very meticulous at this point in her life. So I'm curious if that's going to be something that carries over. But I think that knowing what you were like when you were little, you barring like trauma and those types of things that might have caused you to hide out, that's probably the most honest representation of the true you. Mm-hmm. 
Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you you listen to your podcasts. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. And so having those conversations is one thing. And then I think also it's like, this way in which starting with identifying a passion does not need to go straight to, oh, but how would I ever make money doing that? That's the other thing that I see all of the time. Like sitting with the idea of, I was just talking to a client about this this morning. I love interior decorating. Oh, but I can't ever see a way that I can make a business around it. I'm like, well, is there anyone else ever who has made a successful business where they get to travel because she wants to travel, where they get to travel and decorate people's homes, right? If so, then they've given us an example of what's possible. Mm-hmm. And you can train yourself. You can, like if you're listening to this show, you're obviously like a capable person, right? right? And so you can train yourself. The hows are not the hard part when you have the right mindset. Like when the mindset is strong, like the strategy is simple. Ooh, I but, love that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that when... Most of us spend most of our time in our heads, doubting ourselves, being afraid of failure. And that's what keeps us stuck more than not knowing what our passions are. We probably do know our passions if we give ourselves some space to think about it. We're just not giving ourselves permission for those to be okay passions to build a business around. Right. That's such a great distinguisher that it doesn't always have to be in the context of like, how do I want to build a business around this? It can just be like, I mean, it goes back to the horse example, like you just want to ride some yep. horses. Yep. <laughs> and it 100%. might be that over time, you're like, hmm, here's how I could build a business around riding horses or my love of horses or whatever. But yeah, which I did. So you can. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I laugh about one of the first podcast events I went to. And 
all these people were talking about this woman who had this like ridiculously successful podcast about knitting. And I was like, really? Like, is there that much to say about knitting? Not only did she have the podcast, but she also had like this amazing, I think seven figure online business around knitting and like the right needles and the right yarn and like all this stuff. And I was like, oh my God, like if you can build that, there are no limits to what you can build. 100%. Like, but the mindset has to be strong. Like you have to be really committed to the thing that you're really excited about. And you have to recognize, like, I want to talk about this every day for the rest of my life. That's always my question. Like, what do you want to talk about every day for the rest of your life? And so for me, like with selling my gym, I was like, I don't want to talk about helping women lose weight every day for the rest of my life. That is like, that's soul sucking work to just help women nitpick their bodies every day. Yeah. That's not like, it's not what I stand for. I want women to feel amazing and be confident and be strong and powerful. But at this point, the conversation for me has evolved beyond that point. And that's great. There's still people having that conversation who want to help specifically with women in weight loss. I'm glad that there's people that want to do that. But for me, like I want to take that conversation to the next level and I can't sit in this conversation anymore now that I know that, like, that's very limiting to me. And so, you know, like me with my podcast, I was like, I just kind of want to like talk to moms. (laughs) But then I was able to figure, and that was a passion project. I didn't make any money on it. I didn't have a plan to build a business around it. But over time I was like, okay, I'm really having fun with this. This feels more in line with my core values at this point in my life than selling weight loss programs at the gym. Mm, And so then I'm able to make that shift. And so I totally agree with like just playing around with the passion piece. If you eventually want to build a business around it, awesome. If not, that's cool too. You're still going to hone in on like your true sense of identity and like living your best life and connecting with yourself and all those things that are hugely beneficial. It doesn't matter if you ever build a business around it. A hundred percent. And like you and like me, give yourself permission to evolve, right? You can have one great business that leads into the next great one and be happy in the journey. Right, right, right. So tell us about, I know that you have seven steps to your freedom-based lifestyle, and this is all through your current business, Life with Passion. Is that correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So talk to us a little bit about that, because I think this is what is really appealing for moms. If we do decide that we want to take our passions into some sort of business venture, it's because we want a more freedom-based lifestyle. <laughs> That's been my experience, at least. Oh, so true, right? And this is what I really break down in the book. and. I think that the biggest thing that I want to say is like keeping it simple, right? You were asking like, how do people, you know, build on the side, right? It's by keeping it simple. There's a really big name who works with a lot of moms to start their own businesses and I won't name her name, but her process is like 24 steps. No. <laughs> and I listened to it. I was listening to the audiobook, and I just like, turned it off. I went, I have a six figure business and I have a team and like, this is my fourth business and I'm overwhelmed. Yeah. You know what I mean? So my goal with this is to just make it super, super simple because when you have five minutes a day that you can devote to your business, that's enough in the beginning Yeah, and you got to know what to do. Right. Right. So step one is decision. And that's just what we were just talking about. You got to make a decision instead of like continuing to question what if this or what if that, if you want it, you've got to decide because then that gives your brain the ability to go, okay, let's start to figure this out rather than using all of your energy to go, what if this, what if this, what if this, what if this, right? Yeah. 
you got to decide and decide on something for like at least the next 90 days. Because if you take some action for 90 days, you're going to have the clarity on what to do next on if you love it on if you hate it and it's the worst thing ever, right? You don't have to decide on the one thing that you're going to do for the rest of your life. I love that. Thank you. So step two is mindset. And that actually encompasses a huge part of the book and a huge part of the work that I do with my clients because for the reasons that we've discussed, right? We spend so much time in our heads trying to figure out the five-year plan and without even taking any action. So just start to learn to think like an entrepreneur so that we have that clarity and develop our own confidence muscles uh, so that all the other steps, right? Like we talked about the strategy is simple. And step three is to niche, which is something that I know a lot of people, a lot of women struggle with. I can help everyone, right? (laughs) Yes. And then you help no one. Right. Like you're a great example of that. Your podcast is the shameless mom. Like you're going to draw the right people in, Right. right? But I will say even within that, like I can't just say like I've had to do a lot of fine tuning on my niche this year. And most people would say like, oh, you work with moms. No, I work with passionate, ambitious driven, conscientious mm-hmm. mom. Like I've had to do some mm-hmm. work on like some key words of who I do attract and who I want to continue attracting because the Shameless Mom Academy, it's not where every mom is. I mean, like I want yeah. as many moms as possible to be part of this community and to be inspired and motivated by this. But I can tell you that it's not the right fit for everyone. And there's been some people who it's not the right. I mean, I get emails every now and then they're few and far between, but there's definitely people who are not ready for this content or whatever. I mean, there's so I've even had to like go deeper. And so, you know, people are like, well, I just want to work with moms. No, like you need to go deeper than that. (laughs) You can, and it's, that's challenging. It's really challenging, but I've had, and I've worked with business coaches around like, how do I get more specific? How do I get more detailed? How do I keep attracting the right people? Mm -hmm. And it's really powerful. So I totally agree with that step. Yes. Yes. And if you're like, you think you're specific, you might, Especially if you're doing this for the first time, you're not specific enough, I would say, with like absolute certainty. Yeah. So then step four, now that you know, like really out of niche flows everything else because step four is offer. So now you are going to create a premium priced offer, which I find is the fastest way to replace your income Mm -hmm. rather than selling like a bunch of tiny little things where you're making like a dollar profit, you know, and you need a lot of customers for that. So creating an offer that your niche wants, right? That's the next thing that you can serve them at a really high level. Step five is starting to market yourself. And I recommend doing that through starting at your warm market and then letting go of FOMO and focusing on showing up in a really simple, strategic way on one platform, your favorite platform, like let go of everything else. Don't try to be everywhere or you will be nowhere well. Right. Right. Yeah. Like I'm not on Twitter at all. (laughs) I've had three businesses with online followings. I've never been, I'm like, they all had Twitter accounts that someone else would post on every now and then as like part of a service I paid for or something. I've never spent more than 30 seconds on Twitter in my life. And that was just to like put in a, set up an account and put in a password. Yeah. Not your thing, right? Totally not my thing. But like I could sit on Instagram right now all day long (laughs) or in my Mm -hmm. Facebook group all day long. So yeah. I totally agree. Exactly. Go deep in the place that like connect, you can connect to. Right. Which is probably exactly where your people are as well. So like give yourself that permission. Right. So step six is visibility. And that's where we're talking about like getting broader exposure, starting to warm up cold traffic as opposed to people who already know something about you. Once the people in your warm market know what you're doing really well and you've utilized like their networks as well. 
And so we can start to bring in warm leads in that way from people who just came across you, however you've chosen to market in that one simple way. And then step seven is learning how to do sales in a way that feels good and not icky or like a used car salesman or pressury or where you're taking, you know, you're disempowering someone, but actually like I call it the trust-based transaction where you're being human yeah. in a relationship, you know, building a relationship and kind of keeping everybody in the proper like lane and space and no one's saying, well, you should do this or you have to buy now or like any of that crap that I completely disagree with. There's a way to do it in a way that feels good. And that is really ultimately the only way that you're going to sell is if you learn how to do it in a way that feels good. Right, right. I totally agree. Yeah, it's funny. Like once you learn that sales feels so different. <laughs> yes, it does. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And also like your confidence where you're like, well, I have this thing that's really amazing. Like you can have it or not. It's up to you. Like it's your loss if you don't want it. And like, awesome. not that you're that blunt about it, but if you feel that way about it, yeah. then you're not like, uh, I have this thing and I don't know. I mean, it's not that great, but maybe you want to check it out. Like that just has such a ugh, feeling. To it. Yeah. The detachment, right? <laughs> right. Right. Yes. I love it. That was really awesome. So for people listening who are like, yes, I want to go through these steps in a little bit more of a, you know, guided way, definitely get the book. So the book is the income replacement formula, seven simple steps to doing what you love and making six figures from anywhere. I can tell you from listening to those steps, like I've had a ton of business coaching and those are exactly like so in line with everything I've learned. I think that that's just a really beautiful basic model and not basic in like elementary, but like basic in terms of keeping it simple, like just keep it simple. You don't have to overthink it and make it bigger and scarier than it needs to be. Yeah. So I really love that. Okay. Tell us in what ways, Christine, you are a shameless mom. I think I continue to give myself more and more permission to be exactly the kind of mom that I want to be. And that has been a huge journey for me because after May was born, I was a mom, but I wasn't parenting anyone you know? Mm, yeah. And so I was just doing my own thing for a year and a half until my rainbow baby came along. And then when she arrived, the last two years have really been a big, in a lot of ways, a really big struggle for me to go through that experience of really enjoying her, but also really enjoying my work and figuring mm. out how the heck to balance it all. Yeah. And what do I even want it to feel like, right? right? And then giving myself that permission because it involved daycare and nannies <laughs> and all this stuff that I like previously, you know, had all this judgment around for like no good reason other than right. I picked it up somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And I never really thought it through because I never had to. So like being shameless to me means knowing who you are, owning who you are, showing up as that person and letting that continue to be enough. I love that. That's so great. And I love the idea of continuing to give yourself permission. I think that's something that we all have to do as in the constant evolution of parenthood. Oh my gosh. Yes. So good. Okay. So tell us where we can find you. Where can people find you, connect with you, those kinds of things? Yeah. So you can go to lifewithpassion.com to get a free chapter of the book. If you want to check it out before you buy it, the book's available at theincomereplacementformula.com or on Amazon or on Audible. I have a private Facebook group called the Passionate and Profitable Entrepreneur Society that I'd love to welcome you to. And you can find me on Instagram at LifeWPassion. 
Perfect. So I'm going to have that all linked up in the show notes. I'm like going to go check out some of these. Li- I'm going to join your Facebook group, by the way, as soon as we're done with yeah, this. Yeah, girl. <laughs> um, Christina, I have to tell you, this has been so helpful and beautiful and vulnerable. And I just really, really appreciate you being here, the wisdom that you shared and the story that you told and all the amazing things that have come out of challenging, overwhelming, and you know, really traumatic journey. So I can't thank you enough for being here and sharing your story and helping inspire more shameless moms to build a life that they love. Thank you so much. It has really been a pleasure. Thank you so much for spending time with me today in the Shameless Mom Academy. I really, really appreciate you being here. If this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you get all episodes as soon as they're released and you never miss an episode. You can do that by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash review. That will drop you into Apple Podcasts where you can click on the little subscribe button. While you're there, please also rate and review the show. Let me know what you loved. Let me know in what way you are a shameless mom. And remember, shameless mom of the week nominations come from our reviews. So if you want to be nominated, you got to leave a review. So make sure you leave a review over at shamelessmom.com forward slash review. And lastly, share this episode with other shameless moms in your lives. The way the show grows and the way we build our community is by you all spreading the word. So take a screenshot of this episode, share it on social media, tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Instagram or Facebook. I will make sure I reply as quickly as I possibly can, sending you lots of loves and shout outs. And I can't wait to connect with you there. Until next time, have a great day. And remember, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.